the basic format of this forum is essentially a mock debate. And we have two sides. We have Brother Scott, who is working on the Christian side, and Brother Tim Meyer, who is working on the atheist side. And I want to stress that this is a mock debate. Tim is not an atheist. He is only doing this for the sake of argument. Uh, essentially, we will have an opening statement of 10 minutes from both brothers, followed by two four-minute responses, a three-minute rebuttal, and then three-minute closing statements. And with that, I would like to open with Brother Scott, who will begin with the Christian opening statement. Well, I guess uh, one of the advantages of uh, doing something like this at a Christian gathering is that the Christian gets to go first, right? We decide who, who can go first. And um, I, I want to mention a few things up front before I actually get into my opening statement about this. And first of all, I want to uh, really acknowledge Brother Tim for being willing to do this. You know, at a, even at a friendly Christian gathering like this, for an individual that is willing to take on the atheist side and argue that side could potentially be hazardous to his health. So he has uh, uh, really, I think, offered something to all of us to be willing to to try to argue this point. And I would like to, to get into specifically now what we're going to be speaking about today. And we've entitled this debate that deals with the whole issue of the many different ideas that we have thrown at us in one big question, one big pool. And the question is, to be resolved, atheism versus Christianity, where does the evidence lie? And I want to especially stress that point. We are going to be arguing today where the evidence lies. So both of us have a job, so to speak, of building up a framework for where we believe the evidence lies. We might do some work with trying to undo the other individual's framework, but this is largely a positive expression. My job is to build up evidence for why I believe the Christian point of view, thank you, Stephanie, is the more plausible, um, is the more plausible belief. This, this debate is actually a follow-on in some ways from a forum that was done perhaps last year or two years ago on uh, evolution that, among others, Brother Mike Milovans have did. And in that forum, they largely argued from within the Bible to refute evolution in this particular case. But that was their starting point from within the Bible. And I want to tell you right now that this forum is going to be a little bit different. We're backing up one step. And this forum is to not assume that the audience or my opposition believes in the authority of the Bible. It would be great if he would. It would be great if I could insist on all the people that I speak with that you have to believe in the authority of the Bible. But we all know they don't. And I'm trying to look for some common ground where which we can start a dialogue. So that is going to be the starting place. And I would sort of categorize this in some ways as pre-evangelism. It is not even at the point where people are willing to accept the possibility of the Christian God or the truth of the Bible, but we're trying to work our way to that point that people are at least willing to talk about it and discuss it. So, uh, as I mentioned, I don't assume the authority of the Bible at all in this discussion. So now I would like to get into my opening statement, and I, I'm basically going to present two large areas of argument. The first argument is, is that I believe that there is no good evidence for atheism. Again, there is no good evidence for atheism. And when I say that, what I mean is, is that any belief requires some sort of a framework 
to verify its authenticity with the world in which we live. Let me give you an example of some things that have to be part of the framework for it to be a plausible belief. It has to be able to explain, as an example, the explanation of a physical world. Did it drop? I didn't even notice it. Of the physical world as we know it. It has to explain that in some way. This is a branch of, of, of understanding that's called metaphysics. That's all that that means. An explanation of the physical world and how it came about. That framework has to be provided. A framework has to be provided for the uniqueness of man within the existing world. Men are different from other people. We have an intellect. We have emotions. We have a conscience. We have the ability to make different moral judgments that other animals are not able to make. And any framework, any system of thought, needs to be able to explain why is that? Where does this come from that man is different from the rest of all of the other, what I would call the created world, they would say the evolved world or whatever their expression is. But they have to be able to explain that. The third thing that they have to be able to explain is the ob objectivity for their knowledge. I mean, why does an atheist believe what he believes? On what basis can he assert that knowledge as being superior? The Christian has a much easier point of view on that particular point, which I'll get to later. But they have to tell me, why do you know what you know? Or what you think you know. What is the basis for your knowing it? To give some sort of authoritative justification for it. <clears throat> if somebody were to tear down completely the Christian point of view and were unable to build up a framework for the atheist point of view, they would not have been able to make any headway in this debate. It's not enough to poke at me. Brother Tim has the job of raising a framework in his own way that can stand by itself. He knows I'm going to be rifling at him. But nevertheless, that is his job, to build up a framework and not to just attack my framework. The second part of the argument is there is, however, good evidence for the Christian position in believing in the God of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham that came and revealed himself to this world in his son, Jesus Christ. There is good evidence for this point of view. And I present to you five lines of reasoning as to why I believe that this is good evidence. I'm just going to say those five reasons right now, and we will get into it. How much more time do I have? We, we each were going to have ten minutes on this part, so I probably used that more than five, right? Okay, so let me just state these uh, five lines of argument. Okay, The first argument for the plausibility of a Christian point of view is that the universe has a beginning. This, I believe, is strong evidence for believing in the Christian point of view, and I will explain why as we go on in this debate. The second point is that the evidence points, I believe, to an intelligent designer of the universe. It, it's not statistical. It's not causal. I believe that the evidence points to an intelligent designer of the universe, and that that is a strong point of evidence for a created world. I believe that the evidence points to a God who is the source of objective moral values. The argument that I'm presenting is without God being there, 
People want to talk about morality or fairness or any other way that they want to frame it. I don't see how their point of view can hold any argument because they have no basis with which to set what they are claiming as moral values onto. I would claim, however, that from the Christian point of view, God is the source of all moral values, which has been given to us in special revelation. The fourth line of thinking and evidence that I would like to present is that God, the evidence points to a God who has revealed himself in this world to all mankind in the person, in the life, and in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The evidence points towards that. And the last argument is more of a personal argument that I would like to present, and that's that the evidence points to the fact that God can be immediately known and experienced by every human being. There is sufficient record of people in their lives claiming to have had a spiritual experience based on the Bible that has transformed and changed their lives and given them a totally different point of view. I am one of those individuals, as is probably most people in this room. Okay, but those are the five lines of argument that I'm going to present, and now I would let Tim uh, move on to his opening statement. Well, once again, to reiterate, you know, and I suppose as he's called me brother a couple of times up here, <laughs> this, is, uh, this has been rather difficult to try to do this, but from here on in, I'm going to actually try to sound like I know what I'm talking about. I don't think that... I'm going to attack the point of why I believe that there's no God on the basis of the evidence, per se, of Christianity. But more on the fact of the lack of evidence, in my mind, of Christianity in this world. But to, say that there, to simply say that there is no evidence for Christianity, we have to start at the root. And that is that there cannot be a God. Now... For many people, uh, this is either simply believe that there is a God or believe that there isn't. But ha not much more thought has been put into it than that. And so my first point of, of argument is going to be the paradoxes of God. Not just any God, but the paradoxes of the Christian God. The first thing, and a point that is often uh, people come at the atheist with, is many atheists, myself not included, believe that the universe is an eternal place. And to Scott's, uh, on one point that Scott and I agree on, it is not. It does have a beginning, okay? And the reason that this is important is because the atheist who believes in an eternal universe is basically flirting with an idea that makes no sense. Many mathematicians have talked about the idea of the infinite as being something in your mind, something that works in mathematics, but is not something that exists in the real world. Okay? And, and an example that I'd often heard is, what's infinity minus infinity? There really isn't an answer for that. It's kind of self-contradicting. Okay? Well, the thing is, though, then what is God? God's apparently eternal, but yet, if, if what we consider as being something eternal or infinite is irrational, then doesn't that make God irrational? The second thing is that if God is an infinite being and God is the only God, 
then everything came from God. Now the Bible says that God is perfect and cannot look upon sin, but yet sin exists. So where did this sin come from? Did, did, is there something else out there that's eternal? And the, and the honest thing is, is there is no answer for that. Where does sin come from? If everything came from God and God cannot look upon sin, then where did sin come from? My third point. God is all-powerful. God is omnipresent. God loves mankind, so the Bible says. Yet, people suffer. All over this world, there is starvation. There are people being killed. There is natural disasters. But if there was a loving God out there, wouldn't these things not be around? If the God that, that the Christian spoke of was around, wouldn't these things be gone? Wouldn't we all live lives of bliss? And the fact is, that's just not the case. The fourth point. How could a God who claims to love mankind and love man send people to hell? It's a very real fact in the Christian faith. The Christian believes that the non-Christian is going to be the one going to hell. Well, if God loves mankind, and if God's all-powerful, why can't he just say, oh, well, you know, it's all good. Let everybody go, you know, come on into heaven. But he doesn't say that. That's not what the Bible says. And I think that these are four points in which I believe that it shows that the idea of God is in turn a paradox. The second thing is, and I think that this is um, honestly one big death blow for, uh, for Christianity, is the theory of evolution. I mean, the Bible talks of the original sin is the fall of man, a very unique point in history. Now, many people could argue whether or not evolution exists or not, but the fact is that although there are some holes, on the whole, evolution does scientifically make sense. And we have seen evidence of it. And therefore, if there is no point in history that we can say that Adam and Eve truly lived, if there is no point in history that we can say that they were the ones who fell, and that is the specific point that is, that is brought out by many Christians and the Bible as being the fall of man. If there was no fall of man, then there is, was no original sin, there was no need for salvation. And even so, even if, even if, it, was, even if it was true that, that Adam and Eve did exist, the, and apparently they ate from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because... If, and God said if they ate from that, then they would receive the knowledge of good and evil. Well, if they didn't have the knowledge of good and evil, how could that be held against them? Just another kind of a side point. And I think my third point for the, not, for the evidence against Christianity is Christians. How many Christians out there, or people who have claimed to be Christians, been immoral, heartless, unethical people? I mean, I, I myself have friends at work who shun Christians who think that doing business with Christians is like two minutes. Okay. Who think doing business with Christians is just you're asking for trouble because he doesn't trust them, he's had bad experiences in the past. And again, there's other people. Look at Hitler. Hitler claimed to be a Christian. He was baptized as a Christian. Same thing with Koresh. Koresh claimed to be a Christian as well. And, um, you know, coming back to the point of Hitler, he claimed to be practicing progressive Christianity. But, I mean, if that's the kind of Christianity that your God uh, is all about, then I think that he is something to be uh, disputed and fought more than worshipped.
You were told in the beginning that this was a staged debate, and I want to qualify what a staged debate is. A staged debate means, in this sense, that Tim is taking a position that he really doesn't believe in. Okay? But it does not mean, however, that we knew what each other precisely were going to say in this debate. We don't. I'm thinking on my feet, just like he is thinking on his feet right now. So that, that component we wanted to make real, okay? And we're going to proceed on, on that basis. What I, I am choosing to do with my allotted time of this segment and then the next segment is the rebuttal is this. Um, I'm choosing right now not to respond to the different arguments that Tim has raised. I would like to present a more positive case for my own arguments and I will counter his arguments in my next session. I just would like to say this, that from what I've heard, I'm not sure what you've heard, but from what I've heard is no positive statement from his opening statement about why one should believe in atheism. What I've heard so far is efforts to try to look at the perceived inconsistencies in Christianity to cross it out. And even if he would, in this debate, kill Christianity once and for all, he has not done his job of telling us why the evidence points to the atheistic point of view. So I would like to move on to the five points that I raised to give some more supporting arguments for it. My first point was that the universe has a beginning. This is, a, uh, this is actually a, um, a recently new idea in science for most people to accept the fact that the universe has a beginning. A hundred years ago, this is not what people believed in general. They believed, based on what they saw of the universe, that it was not moving, it was static. And they believed, therefore, that what they saw was always there. It's not changing. It, it didn't have a starting point. It had always been there. Now, that on the one hand was a little bit awkward for the atheist to point out the fact that the universe is static and had no beginning because, of course, one was going to ask him, well, how did it come about? if it had no beginning. He wouldn't particularly uh, justify that. But that point of view would contradict the biblical account of the universe having a finite time when all of this started. And they would have argued then that that is not what we see, that there was a starting point. Well, now things have changed, okay, in the past 100 years from new things that we know about the cosmos and the universe where it is generally accepted by any self-respecting scientist that the universe has a beginning. There was a point in time when all of this began. They can't explain why, but they ascertain that yes, there was a point of time zero when all of this started. And I should simply like to raise, based on that point, that now we have a worldview that is consistent with the biblical account. We did not have that 100 years ago, so I believe that the evidence is moving in favor of Christianity based on that. I stated that the Evidence points to an intelligent designer. Um, there are many ways in which one could argue this point, and I've chosen to argue one piece of evidence that is within my profession and something that I know something about. And that is about the cosmological constant. And what I want to explain here is we know now that the universe is not static, it's moving, it is expanding. And according to the laws of physics, the way it expands is very important. Um, if it would expand it in a very, very slow manner because of all the mass of the universe, there would have been a time when all of the universe would have collapsed back onto itself because of its gravitational pull. 
On the other hand, if the universe would have expanded at a very, very large rate, we could tell by how far things are away from us that it would have expanded much, much further than it is. The point that I'm making is the universe is expanding on this fine line that just allows it to expand a little bit without causing it to recollapse back on itself. Now, just within the past two months, we actually thought that it, it was expanding at a constant rate. Now there's some new evidence that points to the fact that the universe might be actually slightly expanding at an accelerated rate. But the point in all this is actually that this is just a perfect set of circumstances for this world as we know it to have come about. It is not a statistical argument. It is a factual argument saying we are riding on a fine line. And how did it happen? that all of this came about with a perfect set of circumstances for this to happen. And I would argue that that points to an intelligent designer of the universe. <clears throat> I argued that the evidence points to a God as the source of objective moral values. C.S. Lewis, in his book from the 1940s, A Case for Christianity, points out that any child feels violated when somebody takes something from them. That's not to say that they're not going to take something from another child. But they feel violated when something... They know that it's wrong when somebody takes something from me that is somehow inherent in us as individuals. The fact of the matter is, is there are some things in this world that are really wrong. Really wrong. I mean, child abuse is really wrong. And we have no way, based on sociological arguments, to, to uh, uh, try to stop people from doing something like abusing a child other than an objective moral value that comes from outside ourselves that I would claim comes from God. The evidence points to Jesus having reveal, God having revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Three main points I want to make on this. A, the tomb is empty. And by accounts of many, many individuals they will verify historically, they did verify historically, that the tomb was empty. B, Jesus appeared after his death to greater than 500 people, Christian and non-Christian alike. That is part of the historical account. Some historians have that upwards of 1,500 people. But the point is, large numbers of people witnessed that they saw Jesus after he was to have died. My last point is, the Christian faith itself is evidence for God having revealed himself in Jesus. Let's assume for a moment that this whole thing was a hoax. And the early Christians stole the body. The early Christians were spreading around some false truths about this. Why in their right mind would they have been willing to um, suffer the death of a martyr based on a hoax? I mean, why would they have pushed this thing to that end if there really wasn't some truth behind it? Notwithstanding the fact that the truth of the gospel that they spread spread like wildfire and has, and has lasted up till this day, 2,000 years later. And I ask you, do not you consider that evidence for the fact that there is some truth to what they were propagating in the world? Because it, had it have been a hoax, I maintain to you that it would have been undone long ago. Yes, as I said before, the universe has a beginning. That is true. 
But the fact is, if you ask anybody at this point to explain where it came from or how it came to being, no one can answer. You know why? Because science hasn't gone that far yet. We don't have the science to explain these things. Even, even Scott was saying about uh, how fast the universe is expanding and, oh, isn't this the evidence of God existing and, and uh, you know, this perfect set of circumstances. I think something that always um, bothers me about the Christian argument is they always try to bring in the whole idea of the chances. Do you know what the chances are that we exist today? Oh, it's ten gazillion to one that we exist today. The thing that they don't tell you is the fact that who knows if this is the first go-around how many other universes may have failed? And it just and, and this is the one that worked. We don't, I mean, we're standing here today. We don't know how far history goes back. And that's the truth. The other thing is, um, you know, everybody talks about this universe and saying that, you know, for us to be existing, for us to have this body, and for the universe and for the, the environment to be like it is, it's another astronomical number, chances-wise. But again, they don't tell you, we don't know the specific size of the universe. And the fact is, there might be every other permutation out there existing today, and we're the lucky winners. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, ask, ask someone who's won the lottery, uh, one of these Powerball things that's like 10, 10 billion to one that you win this thing. Ask one of those winners if he truly won. Oh, you know what, do you, you know, I mean, did, did God bestow? No, of course not. It's probabilities. I mean, 10 billion to one still means there's that one. And if given enough iterations, I mean, you know, I remember hearing somewhere one time that if given enough iterations that you could have a room full of chimpanzees type out all the works of Shakespeare in succession, if given enough time. And that's, and we've got nothing but time. We've been here for billions and billions of years. That's what we have. And, and to come to the point of objective moral values, yes, I'll admit it. The atheist believes morals are relative. But not only have we evolved physically, we've also evolved socially. We know what it takes to make society work. And we know what it, makes, what it takes to make societies fall. And basically what we have done is optimized society. And, and basically... We have, we have seen that if others, if things work well for others, things will work well for ourselves. It's kind of a give and take thing. But that, that's how it works. That's what works. And so, okay, fine. You can say it's not objective and that some things are truly wrong. Okay? Whatever. The point is, society works. Why does society work? Because we have these established goals, these established rules. Okay? Does that mean they were instituted by God? No. I would like to counter now some of the arguments that I have heard raised by Tim early in the debate. <clears throat> he was claiming that God is irrational and used as a grounds for that the abstract mathematical notion of infinity. Infinity minus infinity and saying that God is as big as infinity and that doesn't make sense. Um, I just want to point out that he's right in a certain level and I believe wrong in a different level. And that's that in the physical world in which we live, the notion of infinity doesn't have a meaning that's absolutely true. We, we don't know how to conceive of something infinite. Um, but the claim is that is only restricted to the physical world in which we live. 
as an example, a different discipline, such as something like quantum mechanics, which is theoretically performed in a Hilbert space that has unique rules to it in this mathematical space, it makes sense to have an infinity in, infinity in that space. And my point is, is that if God is further in dimension than the three dimensions of space and time in which we live, that the concept of an infinite God can make sense. He pointed to the fact that, you know, how would a loving God send us to hell? And this, you know, this is, this is an old argument, and it goes something like this, of the wrong guy getting the blame. Uh, I know some of you, have you ever worked on a project, and it usually turns out that the hardest person that is working on the project, if something goes wrong with the project, he gets the blame. Right? That's usually the way it works. Okay? And this is a perfect example of that, saying that, you know, uh, God created this thing, and he's sending people to hell. Well, the fact of the matter is, you know, we have a choice. Tim, you have choices. I have choices that we have to make. And that argument, it seems to me, is trying to eliminate the responsibility of individuals making choices. That's really what the argument is all about. He's right when he says about evolution that if somebody could prove evolution, it would erase the, the potential for original sin. And the whole Christian framework is based on original sin. I concede that point. He is absolutely right. If somebody could objectively prove that evolution was true, that would be a big blow to the Christian point of view, but we're not there yet. He says that Christians themselves refute um, the, the, uh, the truth of their own beliefs. Again, there's an element of truth to this, and there's not an element to truth. I raise for you Christians, the Bible says that men will know that we are Christians for our, the love that we have for each other. So it is truth that the, the, the reality of Christianity in a person's life is evidence for God being there. But the opposite is not the case. If Christians did not live lives that were consistent with their beliefs, that does not mean then that the evidence is that God is not there. God could still be there regardless of the hypocrisies that exist within Christianity. I'm not condoning hypocrisies. They're wrong. Part of spirituality is to work those things out. But I don't believe that that argument actually undoes the evidence of God being there. Um, Tim raised issues of statistics and so on that some Christians raise. He's true. I have problems with those arguments. Notice I did not raise any statistical arguments in this debate. Notice I did not raise any statistical arguments in this debate. He says that science is not there yet uh, in proving evolution. He's right that science isn't there yet. But one warning of something that I frequently see is that scientists, especially scientists with advanced degrees and credentials, quite often go beyond their field of expertise and wander into the world of theology and wander into the world of philosophy and try to make other claims that are not strictly justifiable within the rules of science. And please be aware, just because somebody is an expert doesn't mean that he's making good arguments. He pointed toward the issue of, uh, of moral values. To be honest, I forgot what I wanted to say about this point. Scott just made the statement that if someone could prove evolution, it would be a serious blow to the Christian faith. Now, here's an interesting uh, little bit. The Christian believes that, however many thousands of years ago, God decided to purge mankind and purge the world of all kinds of animal life for their sin or what have you. In doing so, he instructed a single man to build a boat and get every type of animal, two, kind, two of every type, something like that, of every animal, put it on this boat, ship it off for 
half a year or something like that, lands on top of a mountain, something, okay? If you were to take two of every kind of animal that we have today and load it on a boat, you know how big the boat would have to be? It's not the 700 feet or however big that Christians claim that the ark was. We're talking a city to take, this an to take all these animals. What does that say? It says even if the Christian believes that this story is true, that there is an element of evolution that existed after this flood, thus giving some evidence, at least, to the idea that evolution is true. Now, the second thing that he talked about, and this is commonly, I've heard this argument as well. Oh, well, you know, if, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what people do because just because Jesus didn't do it means that, uh, you know, if they're not following Jesus' way, then, well, they're not really Christians. Oh, well, I seem to recall sometimes in the Old Testament where God instructed his people to cleanse areas of, quote-unquote, heathens, anybody who wasn't one of them, um, went in and pillaged whole areas. And, I mean, isn't this the same God that, that it seemed, or isn't this the same type of action that Hitler seemed to, to follow? I mean, when he, when he was uh, purging his land, I, don't, I, I personally don't see much of a difference. But those are two points. Another point that I wanted to come back to was the fact that Scott made a point that God reveals, revealed himself in Christ. And he spoke about the empty tomb and that 500 people saw him and that, that people... Uh, or, well, basically that point first. That there was an empty tomb and that 500 people saw him. 500 people? So what? 500 people? You can get 500 people to believe anything. And that's the truth. I mean, think about back when... when uh, when it was believed that Paul McCartney was dead from the, from the Beatles. There was some song that I guess if you played it backwards said, Paul is dead. And there were droves of people that went into mourning because they believed that Paul McCartney was dead. And he wasn't. So, to get 500 people to believe a hoax, that's not much. Um, the Christian faith. Talking about dying a martyr's death for the Christian faith. There are all different types of religions. I mean, think about all the, all the mad bombers who go in and have a strap of dynamite around them and pull a, pull a cord as they run into a building screaming the name of their God and blowing up an entire building, dying themselves. And if, if the Christian is correct, then what they're believing is a hoax. But yet they die for it. That's the point I wanted to make. My closing argument is going to be relatively short. <clears throat> if we would have... Uh two and a half hours to have this debate. And by the way, uh, Tim and I saw a debate along this line that was about two and a half hours long. I would have time to address some of the most recent issues that Tim brought up in his last segment. But we don't have time for that right now, but I would be happy to discuss those issues offline. What I would like to point out, though, in my closing statement is this, back to the original point that I first raised, that this debate is about atheism versus Christianity, where does the evidence lie? And I have still yet to hear some kind of credible evidence for why one should believe in the atheistic point of view. What I have heard up till now, why I should believe what Tim claims to believe. And based on that, to me, I would say that the evidence is quite clear. And furthermore, I, I would just like to mention on the last argument that I didn't get to in the last thing about Jesus, can and God being able to be known 
um, immediately and that he can be known. If, if there is anybody here that is on a spiritual journey, when you perhaps are entertaining the truth of some of the ideas of what you've heard, I would encourage you to speak with somebody who can help you on the walk in this journey and that you personally can experience the reality of God in your life through prayer and through grace, which is to appear to all of us. I just want to encourage you to don't become discouraged and do not stop along that journey uh, to find the truth that Christianity would claim. To close, I would just like to first comment about that last point. That God can be experienced. Mescaline can be experienced. Even Buddhists claim enlightenment. Is it real? That's up, for you. That's up to you. Many people in the world try to find reason for everything. We, I alluded before to the lottery. I said, you know, some people play the lottery every week, and, you know, and some people win it. Other people play it every week saying, oh, I'm due. As if somehow that there's something out there greater. Do, they, do most people ever win? No, they don't. You know, if there was some sense of justice in this universe, then wouldn't things be a lot different? If there was truly a loving God, wouldn't, there th wouldn't things be a lot different? I mean, think about it. Good people die. Children are suffering. I, I don't know what more I have to say than that as, as an evidence. Thank you. Are there any questions for either Scott or for Tim? One of the arguments uh, that was brought out was how could a loving God allow all this suffering to take place? Isn't that evidence that he's not existing? And uh, the Christian response to that is the fact that we're in a fallen world and that God's judgment hasn't been meted out yet. Um, he's allowing free choice to exist. And because of that aspect of free choice, evil coexists with good. But one day, God's judgment will come. And at that point, obviously, paradise will be here. Um, the atheist was looking for paradise to be already here, but you can't have paradise in a fallen world. Okay, the comment was that Christ did not come to make the world perfect. He came to perfect us. And that's why the world is not perfect yet, because not all people are Christians. Not all Christians have finished their work yet either. And Christ's work is ongoing. That's why we cannot say that Christ does not exist or that God does not exist, because their suffering because God did not come to end suffering. He came to end suffering through us to redeem the church. Are there any more comments or questions? Yes? The comment was the greatest evidence of Christianity is the Christian himself, the witness that we show and the changed life that we show, and that is the greatest evidence. Mm -hmm. Yes?
very good point that the Christian witness can be evidence for atheism as well as Christianity. If we call ourselves Christians and yet are hypocritical, then we are proven atheism rather than Christianity. Yes? Uh, Marcus? Uh, a, a question to uh, Tim uh, specifically. Has this preparation for this debate affected you in your personal belief? Well, Take my hat off. I mean, I'll be honest. See, much of this debate, much of the material that I had to prepare for this debate actually comes from a guy I work with. I sit right next door, and this guy... And see, what I tried to capture as well was not even just what he said, but how he says it. I mean, he, he is the most like belittling, degrading type of person as he is saying it. I mean, you just feel so small when he's talking to you. Just because, I mean, he basically, he basically makes it sound like, you know, um, like Christianity is naivety. Is, is, you know, that you guys don't have an answer, so you just throw it off to God. And, I mean, asking if it, if it has changed, I mean, I think if anything, it has just said that I really, I need to know my stuff. I mean, I think in general, I think we're dealing with a world out there that is educated and that really, um, that really knows levels that I think sometimes we as a church do not. And you try to, you try to, to even talk with them. And I'm not even saying necessarily that you have to crush them or that you have to win or anything like that. But even to sound intelligent or reasonable, you know, that's what our, our discussion has been about this morning, is trying to make a reasonable, uh, or trying to present a reasonable faith. Well, you know, without some, you know, unless we've really thought it through ourselves, we can't even have, a, you know, that. You know, and even though in our hearts we might believe it, you know, if, if we can't at least make some type of intelligible argument, I mean, in some cases we're just dead in the water. And I think, you know, it has just really taught me that I have really got to um, not only study my Bible, I mean, which is always important, because, you know, but know my, you know, know 
understand, you know, not just read it and say, oh yeah, I believe that, but to understand why I believe it. And to really, you know, and, and I think, you know, there was kind of a thing that, that was a little unrehearsed with Scott and I was just the demeanor of him versus the demeanor of me because I know that very often an evidence, I mean, even as we say, um, of changed lives as being an evidence for Christianity, um, just a demeanor. You know, he wasn't out to slam me as much as I was out to slam him. You know, or I should say, not at all. He was out to present the point. And that, that just even that, I mean, the, the, the mindset, the heart set, the, the evidence might not be, uh, or, you know, you might have a difficult time making the evidence in the physical world. But again, I mean, coming back to your point, that the evidence really is in how we live. Scott, did you want to say something? I agree with the point that you made, Stephanie, but I think actually that a positive articulation of Christianity is something that really is important. I mean, it is true in this postmodern world that skepticism is an acceptable point of view and that everybody can say, oh, well, we, we don't know anything about anything, and we, we're willing to live with a world that is no longer integrated. But I would say, from my, my uh, uh, observation of people, that even for those that don't admit it, they are looking for something in their life that they can positively build it on. I mean, at the end of 60, 70 years, for them to have said that it was a good enough philosophy to just rip apart everything in life and say you don't have to believe anything and no positive way, uh, reason for believing something, I really don't think that that's filling for people, that that, that that gives them any sort of real substance. What I see, if anything, is at the end of people's living a life like that, they become very... Um, um, not only d distressed, but they, they become frantic in trying to find some positive thing that they can hang on to. So I would say that really from my point of view, postmodern skepticism is, is not a sufficient integration point, I don't believe, for, for building a life on. Can, can I just say something before we do this? We're, we're just about run out of time, and I'm glad that there's a lot of questions that it could go uh, on, and I, I hope that it our, our prayer was actually that this discussion would continue around tables as, as we eat and so on, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't die right here. But I do think that I, I do need to emphasize this point that um, probably too often when we get questions thrown at us, what we really want to do is to be able to win, win the argument, to find some way that we maybe you know, not, not have a, um, a, a collapsing blow that we throw at an individual, but we, we want to come out of it with somehow a bit of an upper hand. And um, what I would just wanted to encourage people to be thinking about and find a piece about is that that's really not necessary. All that we want to do is to be able to approach people on something like equal terms. 
And actually, it would be counterproductive if one would, would make a forceful argument that would rip somebody apart in Jesus' name and hope to have a, a communication with the individual later. They will always be left with a stigma of having one put over on them. Okay? And so I just want to say that what we're really looking for is more of an entree in this to open up questions, ideas, so that we can continue the discussion further. As some of the brothers pointed out, this discussion that we had is not an all in all and in all. This is simply the starting point. You know, the reality of a changed life and communicating a real faith from one person to an individual is the goal in all of this. The question is, where do you start with somebody that you have totally no common ground? to start on. That, that was really the whole basis for what we were discussing. So I think actually we're going to have to uh, stop now, but personally I would be more than happy to, uh, to continue this discussion later at, at any point. Thanks very much.